This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Eben Novi-Williams is off this week. Over the next hour, Michael and I will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we speak with Jeff Quantinets. He is the founder and CEO of Big Three, a three-on-three pro basketball league also created by Ice Cube. That conversation coming up. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of this week. And first, let's push into the media from former pro soccer player David Beckham. Looks like he is getting in even deeper with folks in Hollywood. Who doesn't have a, a distribution company, a production company these days? Seems you like don't have one? I, not, well, you know, we are one here, yeah, but well, I don't personally have one. No, no, my brand, not quite as strong globally as David Beckham. <laughs> but Studio 99, got to focus on documentaries, TV shows, I like he says, other formats too. But you know who he's partnering with? Let me take a guess. Who would you partner with if you were an athlete looking to distribute content? I bet you it's somebody that's now in L.A. Yeah, has been, has been in L.A. And is uh, currently in the NBA. Cur- yeah, So far, yes. Are we getting closer? Uh, used to play for Miami. Yes. And used to play for Cleveland. Yes. Oh, my god. And has his own platform, the, the Uninterrupted. LeBron yeah. James. So think about that marriage. <laughs> LeBron James and David Beckham. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean... Powerhouses certainly will get meetings in Hollywood. Let's see what kind of content they come up with. Now, what is what did they call it? Studio ninety nine. Studio ninety nine. Yeah, that's that is going to be a powerhouse. They're going to make more money on this than the money that they made when they were playing respectively at the peak of their. Well, remember games. Beckham cut the best deal ever when, as part of his playing contract in MLS, he had the right to get an expansion franchise. What was it, 10 million bucks or whatever his deal called for? Far below what the expansion franchises are going for now. Good foresight by David Beckham and company. Well, he's no Bobby Bonilla, but that's another story. We'll hey, you know what? I'm tired of Mets <laughs> getting killed on that one. If you re- Do you know why the Mets did that? Well, part of it, I know Bernie Madoff was kind of yes. involved in that. Well, they were getting 20% a year on their money. So why would you not amortize all your playing contracts over a long period of time if you think the money's going to earn more sitting in an account? Of course, thinking that Madoff was on Legit, the level. Legit, of course. But on the level, if you are going to run the numbers, it was the smart move for the Mets to pay players out over time and let the money earn more in the Madoff accounts. It's a push in Ohio to learn more about Hamilton County's secretive deal for a revised lease with the Cincinnati Bengals. Scott, folks put in a public records request for the info of the team. <laughs> Let's just say transparency doesn't seem to be the strong suit of Hamilton County here. Then 245 redacted pages. It was so redacted, they even redacted the page numbers. Yeah, I mean, utterly ridiculous. <laughs> That the taxpayers, by the way, have already spent. Do you know how much the taxpayers have spent on on this stadium? Nine hundred and twenty million so far. Oof. We're clo- so it's going to go over a billion dollars because now this is going to be they're they're buying the land near the stadium. It's going to be a parking lot and a new practice facility. So if I'm paying for that, I'd sort of like to know the details of the deal. 
So, of course, like you said, some of the local papers have put in public records requests. And what comes back from the county two months later? Nothing. Totally redacted contract. Which, by the way, how do you think that's going to play out? For the home in the Cincinnati Bengals. Is that going to fuel interest in what's going on? I mean— it's going to fuel something where, where, all right. Yeah, where's the sunlight? Just put some sunlight. If you if if you didn't like the terms of the deal you cut, don't cut the deal. I started reading that story, and I thought, well, something must be wrong with my— I have all these black lines that's on, on the page. Every—there are full pages redacted. Right. And we're talking about an NFL team here, the Cincinnati Bengals. So this is not like it's low profile. This is money being used— for a sports team in the premier U.S. sports league. <laughs> Taxpayers already out almost a billion dollars, going to go over a billion, and no details released by Hamilton County. Oh, man. Finally, let's talk about one of the country's leading sports agencies that's looking into capitalizing on the U.S. Women's World Cup win by forming a new division to market the women through sports. So he's a marketer. It's my friend Casey Wasserman, friend of the program, guest on the program. He says he's creating a unit within his company. It's going to be called The Collective. And it's going to focus on connecting female athletes with companies, consumers, fans, yada, yada. Now, I mean, look at the roster he's already got. It would seem to me that Casey et al. are already focusing on female athletes. You ready for this name? The stable of, of people and players in his company? Yep. Sue Bird, what? Maya Moore, Katie Ledecky, Hillary Knight, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, you know what? And and those are names where you, and nobody's going who? Right. That's 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 the key. That's a stable. Yeah, I'm not sure what you do differently because you have a female athletes division. What we'll see, but certainly there has been some sort of tipping point coming out of this World Cup. Did you see all the little girls and yes. boys that were lined up the Canyon of Heroes to get a glimpse of the U.S. Women's National Team? Did uh, which is in what three hundred thousand people at least at least yeah it's uh, is we got have we gotten to the point and Megan Rapino said this have we gotten to the point now where it's like yeah the discussion uh, do the women deserve more is that that that's that's gone it, it, the point now is let's do the right thing and on the bigger scale for companies it's about buying power so that's where we are. Now let's get to this week's interview with Jeff Quantinitz. He is the founder and CEO of Big Three, a three-on-three pro basketball league also created by Ice Cube. When he's not running Big Three, Jeff keeps busy with a film and television production company he founded, a music management firm, and a record label. And Michael's a man on the go. Jeff comes to us from, like, the Madden Cruiser. Do you have a name <laughs> for the bus you travel around on, Jeff? I don't have a name for the bus. We, uh, we need a name. I'm still deciding if I like it or not. All right. Well, so, if you do decide, I don't know what kind of name to give it. If you decide you're going to keep it, then maybe you know in a few weeks we're going to get a name out of you. But you're on your way to Brooklyn, New York. Big Three coming to Brooklyn. What is the appetite for Big Three in New York as compared to other cities around the U.S.? New York and Barclays specifically was was our very first game two years ago, and we played the finals there last year. So there is a lot of appetite in New York. And, and frankly, New York is, uh, I would call it the capital of basketball in America. Uh, Ice Cube would take issue with that. He would say it was L.A. Well, he's an L.A. You guy, know, exactly. Like, big Laker fan. He's a big Lakers fan, you know. But I'm a Knicks fan, so I know what it's like to suffer and still be a fan. And uh, 
we still fill the garden. You are the epitome of optimist if you are going on media these days saying, I am a Knicks fan. I didn't say that I was an optimist. <laughs> I'm looking for sympathy. I'm uh, looking for sympathy. You're talking to a native Detroiter, so I get where you're coming from. <laughs> hey, Jeff, can you give yeah. me sort of the backstory? How, what was the genesis of this league? I mean, sometimes this is like two guys on a bar stool. Sometimes I'm sitting at home and, and I'm struck by lightning. What was the genesis of, you know, that these guys are brand names even after they're done playing? What if I put them together to play three-on-three? Three? Will people show up? Can I aggregate eyeballs for that offering? Um, it's an interesting question. You know, I had had some thoughts around the game of three-on-three three because I never understood why there wasn't a professional league because it is the most played sport. But then when you watch how FIBA stages it, you understand because it looks very amateur and the rules. And the thing about three-on-three three is it's personal. That means people play defense, and it's a quick game. Now, Cube, being a Lakers fan, he is, was very upset to see Kobe go. He's also friends with Kobe. And, you know, he scored, I think he scored 50 points in his last game. So Cube calls me and says, how could a guy who could score 50 points in his last game, how could there not be a place for him? we got to figure out, there's got to be some kind of a league where we take advantage you know, of these guys, not take advantage of these guys, but take advantage of their abilities and give them a place to still play where they don't have to play 82 games, you know, which is a grueling schedule. And I said, well, I've always had this three-on-three idea. And that's how it started. And we literally spent probably at least an hour to a day for a year talking through what the setup would be, you know, researching rules, you know, arguing about, you know, how to make it the most competitive and attractive. And one day we were far enough in it that we looked at each other and said, we're just going to keep talking about this or should we do it? That sounds like a great story. I like it. And some of the names that you have in this uh, are still pretty big names and still some household names. Yeah, but not Kobe. I know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Did you ask him? Of course we asked him. You know, we have, you know, Cuba has a relationship with him. Uh, you know, part of this, what Big Three really is, is it is a professional 3 3 league. It is, it is the professional 3 3 league in the world. So it's not something, you know, the first year some guys thought, yeah, I'll go play with my old friends and, you know, play three and three, big deal. And they they found out pretty quick, you know, that first game at Barclays when there were 15,000 people there. And most of the guys worked out and came to play that you couldn't just phone it in. So a guy like Kobe, he played 20 years, you know, in the league. We win either way because what we don't want is kind of, what we just went through, you know, with certain guys, you know, like Baron Davis, you know, who doesn't take it serious, doesn't show up in shape um, and ready to play. And, and because then he doesn't contribute to his team and his team's upset and it's not as competitive. So the guys we want are the guys who want to play professional basketball. You know, so we've had guys, big names, who have said, I want to play, and then a few months, February rolls around, 
and they just say, my body's not responding. You know, I can't play on that level. It's a more physical game than the NBA. You know, it's kind of a throwback. So you really got to be ready to do it. See, you have to want to do it. And I think Kobe, he gave 20 years of the game. He went out. He won an Oscar. He's having fun and success. Maybe he'll get that itch again and want to do it, which we hope. But for right now, I think he's doing fine. He's very supportive of the league. Am I right that the benches are a little bit shorter in the three-on-three in this league than obviously a regular NBA league, which is why you got to be in shape? Yes, of course. You know, there's six guys, but the thing that really does it is if you watch the game, the speed from offense to defense, there's no lollygagging down the court, you know, jogging down the court to the other side. Now, you know, one of the advantages of our league is when you have older players, you know, in their, in their late 20s and in their 30s, their basketball IQ is so much greater than the younger kids. And if you're working out, you know, I mean, these are not old people. You know, 27, 28, 32, 35 years old, you know, they're athletes. But at the same time, running up and down the court to keep up with John Wall for 82 games is really hard. So I think that we've eliminated, you know, the disadvantage of, of being older, and we've magnified the advantages by putting such a premium on basketball IQ and on strategy and, you know, shot making, you know, and also there's such a premium on defense. Having said that, it's physically demanding. Let me ask you about the money behind the big three. Traditional sports leagues, you've got your media deal. You've got your gate and revenue. You've got your merch. Break it down for me. How does the big three make its money? Well, right now, you know, we have investors, Ice Cube and I, two of the prominent ones. You know, we put our money where our mouth is. How much in we for? Have, Can you say how much in for? We're in for millions. You know, um, <laughs> not tens of millions, but millions. Look, the reality of a sports league is the real last league to make it was UFC, which, you know, the genesis was about 20 years ago. There's a reason why we don't see leagues succeed. It's a, it's a very difficult thing. Um, we knew it was difficult when we went in. We had no idea how difficult. And all those activities that you say I do, those were what I used to do because Cube and I have to put so much time into this that literally... You know, he hasn't made a movie in three years, and he makes a lot of money. I mean, he makes $10 million a movie. Um, and I make a lot of money as a producer. And we've had to focus on this. This, this could not be a part-time endeavor. Um, but we did go out. We got some great investors. Um, but ultimately, the way that, you know, virtually all sports, their revenues are first, you know, their media deal and sponsors. I mean, ultimately merchandise, you know, does become a, a good revenue source. Sometimes tickets, but it's not a lot of money in tickets. It, it's television. And when you look at the big leagues, you know, that are raking in, you know, the highest profits, whether it's the NFL, you know, in our country, the NFL or the NBA, you don't need to go much further than the media deal. And then when you look at the sponsorship deals, you know, that, that really is where a lot of the money comes in. Um, 
I mean, and when I say media deals, I mean, the NBA makes a lot of money around the world. You know, they get paid, you know, something around $170 million a year just for broadcasting China. But they and understand, Jeff, let me interrupt day. you. They understand the value of being on the ground in China. They have been there for decades. That's how you have to do the business. I think you get it because you're on your way to China. You know you need to be there to cultivate a fan base. That's absolutely true. And we're doing some exhibition games this year in the fall. I mean, China, it's hard to explain how big of a market it is, except I can tell you there are more people that are basketball fans and registered as such than there are people in America. And the NBA has cultivated a rapid following and, you know, they're excited to have us over. But, you know, to the general question, it, it, it takes time to, you know, to get media deals to the point where, you know, you get the profitability. But that's the most important thing. And we've made a lot of strides with sponsors. You know, we have a great sponsor in Adidas that, you know, you know, we just were able to decrease the price of our tickets because Adidas helps us. They help us with our, um, you know, with some of our um, things we do in the communities. We have this program called Young Three, where we work with underprivileged kids, with boys and girls clubs in every city we go to, and they help us with that. Um, and they put a lot of money in. You know, we've added Toyota and State Farm, um, CDMD, Alex and Ani as, as sponsors. And that'll grow, you know, because sponsors, you know, media, they, they also know the success rates of new leagues. And they sit on the sidelines and wait for you to prove it. And slowly we are proving it. You have a deal now with CBS. What's the financial yeah. arrangement between the league and the network? Like you said, fledgling networks often don't get big-dollar commitments uh, fledgling leagues, rather, don't get big-dollar commitments from leagues. Oftentimes, it's just sort of, we'll give you the airtime and the revenue split. H- how are you working that with CBS? I mean, look, we, we made a decision that instead of taking a check from smaller outlets um, or, or new media, um, that we wanted to be on the number one network and the number one sports network because to grow the league, you need to be exposed and people need to see. So... It's not a lucrative uh, by dollar uh, relationship, but it is very lucrative in terms of the exposure it gets us. Cube and I are all about building for the future, so it's an, it's an investment. And, Jeff, I want to spin a little bit towards something else you tried to do, and that's turn the attention towards the Fox Regional Sports Network that ultimately went to Sinclair. What was the plan for a guy who owns a three-on-three basketball league with Ice Cube to look to acquire 21 regional sports networks with financial backing to the tune of $10-plus billion? Well, first of all, Sinclair doesn't have them yet. There's some hurdles they have to go through, including the DOJ and the SEC. And, you know, I think that it's not going to be smooth sailing for them. So we are still in the hunt for the RSM. The reason why we we wanted to acquire them. It's more about the lessons we learned from Big Three. You know, you can't take the 
two or three hundred million dollar asset and leverage it into a ten and a half billion dollar one. But what we learned is that there's a lot of room for new voices. And we're told by the NFL, we're told by other people that sports and politics don't mix. Ice Cube and I and our group, you know, led, you know, by Dallas Cool J and Matthew Johnson and Bob, Serena Williams and other people, we don't believe that sports and politics or and culture don't mix. We actually think they do. In this day and age, sports heroes tend to have more credibility than politicians. Take a look at the you U.S. Know, women's back, national team. That parade in New York speaks volumes to what you're talking about. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, you look at, like, you know, LeBron and his shut up and dribble. You know, that might have been the case 20 years ago. But today, sports heroes, they can go on social media. They can explain their point of view. If someone thinks the world is flat, that ain't going to hold up. If somebody has something to say, there's ways to really interact with them. So we look at these networks that have basically hit shows that are called baseball or or hockey or basketball. They have 80-90% of the local games. They do huge numbers, but they're not promoting anything else on the network. And we felt that with that base of sports fans and access to sports people, that there would be a platform for people like Jamel Hill. Imagine a morning show with Jamel Hill and Ice Cube and maybe Rappaport, right? <laughs> that would not, be good. Not Our former producer, you. Medina Parwana, love Michael Rappaport, favorite. <laughs> yeah, and not, and not to compete with FS1 or ESPN, but actually to compete with, you know, the Today Show, you know, or Good Morning America, you know, which is designed towards an older audience and a more conservative audience. There, there's such a gap on, on television. And when I say television, you know, whether it's, you know, through mobile, whether it's through over the top or whether it's through traditional TV, it doesn't matter. You know, content on a mass scale is missing a more diverse and inclusive point of view. And frankly, baseball could benefit from that greatly because they need to bring in new fans. And the NBA already, you know, excels at it. So we felt it was the perfect opportunity to do that. We still feel that. Um, you know, it wouldn't all be heavy-handed. There would be things that would be fun. We produce hip-hop squares. We're producing a remake of Celebrity Deathmatch. You could imagine, you know, we pip, we peppered Hip Hop Squared from VH1 with some of our sports guys from Big Three. You know, Celebrity Deathmatch is a natural for some sports things. You know, why have LeBron go to HBO for Showtime if he can come to us? You know, we want it to be a place where people can, can have those points of views and where a younger audience of millennials and Gen Z had a place to go to. Everybody talks about cord cutting, and, and that's real, except there's a dirty little secret that, well, what are they missing by cord cutting? And, you know, with a few exceptions, not much, because most television is 
targeted towards polarized groups and and old and older who are very young, but you know, like Nickelodeon or Disney. So we we saw a real gap, and we're convinced that this would be the right network to do it. So we're not giving up yet. And you know, I mean, a lot of the reasons the DOJ was against Disney keeping the RSN because they, they felt that they would have too much. Well, they own ESPN. Yeah, but but Sinclair is the biggest owner of stations, of local of, of affiliates. So they have affiliates on all the four networks. So they not only now have 90%, if this deal went through, a basketball, 90% of baseball, but they also have every single year the Super Bowl, you know, every time the Olympics plays, the Masters. But between all their four networks, they have all the sports. So actually, they have much more control and, and ability to leverage sports against distributors like the cable companies and the satellite companies. I'm convinced that the DOJ, if they had a choice of who to get it, Sinclair or Disney, that they would give it to Disney. I think that they, when they asked Disney, you know, as part of the consent decree to get rid of the RSNs, they thought that there would be a more robust market for it. I do not think that they intended for Sinclair to get it. All right, Jeff, thanks so it much for taking the time. Thing. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Talk to you soon. He has so many irons in the fire, if you can call it that. And and I was thinking about that when he was mentioning some of the other shows with hip-hop squares and things like that. Celebrity Deathmatch. It just impresses me how many uh, things he has going and uh, how successful they are. Yeah, for me, the takeaway is we need the big exposure. They're pumping millions in. Sports leagues don't always work. This is not a definite. You, I mean, they've got their sponsors coming on now. But as we know, Barr, and as I have said ad nauseum on this program, this is about scale. It's about the media for Big Three and every other sports league, whether it's XFL or the big boys or the new ones coming on. You have got to have widespread distribution. You have got to aggregate those eyeballs. And then, as John Skipper said years ago, it is my job to figure out how to monetize those eyeballs. That's why they're going to China, and they're going to see if they can get more eyeballs. And then, as he said, it's it's not a big dollars and cents deal from right. CBS. In other words, it was like they're not paying us a whole lot of money, if anything, but we need people to see us. Then you build then the money follows. Let's see if it happens. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for number of the week, 250,000. This is my favorite part of the show. You know why? Because every week you and I correspond, and I'm like, hey, this might make a good number of the week, or you're back. This one might make. I remember sending this to you, but I have no idea what it was about. <laughs> so I, re I remember saying, this might make a good number of the week, but I really don't remember what it was about. When you sent it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going to work. Say it's a good one, but I don't remember. But what was it? I'm going to give you the clue. Oh. Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs. Oh, right, 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 right. They're auctioning off. The the uh, Rizzo and Brian right. baseball gloves, right? And the minimum bid it's the it's the gloves used for the game final seven. out of Game Seven of the World Series when they when they broke the uh, the title drought. Yeah, the minimum 
in the golden auctions uh, is what two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. I spoke to Ken Golden, or I emailed with him, asked him what he thought it would sell for. He said three x that, so he said seven hundred and fifty thousand. And if you're the Cubs, you kind of want these artifacts, right? You like you want to keep them in the family. Yeah. Those are pretty important things. But if Put you have the somebody Cubs that has money, like uh, a Bill Murray, who's a big Cubs fan. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. You're putting Bill Murray's yeah. money up against the Ricketts money? Hey, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Murray. I yeah. was, I was, I know you're a huge Cubs fan, but uh, yeah, that's true. The Ricketts could just say, hey, the Ricketts could announce. say, we want it. You know, uh, yeah, we, we'd like them and it'd be part of our museum or whatever they're going to do. And I mean, it makes sense. Because they have the ball, they have the final out ball. It, it, it would make sense to keep those gloves in the family. And by the way, in case uh, you're not a baseball fan, you're talking about a team. The last time they had won the World Series in 2016 was what? Doggone near 108 years 108 old? 108 year drought, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you, you kind of want to, I guess you want to keep that in house. And people forget how it went down. Like they scored two runs in the top of the 10th right. inning, and then Cleveland scored one run in the bottom, and you could just see all of Chicago. It's like, <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember that people had to look like, oh, yeah. Love then Bryant to Rizzo, we're done. It's over. You can breathe again. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when Barr, you got this ready? Yeah. We're going to, because we always talk about my son and the hockey. Yes. We're going to talk to his coach, Jeff Hamilton, former NHL player. But we're going to talk about not only the Brick Tournament, which we won. Thank you. First time an American team won Woo-hoo. since 2002. But we're going to talk to Jeff about the money in youth sports. You're bringing in Jackson. No. Well, you know what? I'll see. I'll see if he can come in that day to talk to coach. But the money in youth sports, how much time, how much energy, and how many dollars are spent on youth sports is incredible. That's going to be good. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.